You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week's a big one, guys. I have been wanting to have this dude on the podcast since I started the podcast. Uh, Super influential on me uh, growing up in my teens and 20s and now 30s. Uh, Just an all-around rad dude, Mr. John Feldman. You guys may know him as a producer. You may know him as the frontman of Goldfinger. Um, you may know him from when he sold shoes on the on the boardwalk. Who knows? You may know him from Electric Love Hogs, his band before Goldfinger. Uh, but uh, you know him. You know who John Feldman is. And I was so excited to get him on the show. Uh, like I say, it's been a long time coming. And uh, we met once briefly back at an animal rights show in Southern California. It was Anatomy of a Ghost. My Chemical Romance, The Used, Goldfinger, Stun, and there was one other band, which I cannot for the life of me remember. Uh, but I remember walking up to him. I was like, holy shit, it's John Feldman. And I walked up and I introduced myself. He's like, oh, yeah, Anatomy of a Ghost, I know you guys. I was like, sweet, well, why didn't we work together? And he said, well, it seemed like you guys had your shit together, so I uh, left it alone. To which I said, no, we did not. We did not have our shit together at all. We... uh we had no idea what we were doing. We were flailing, and and uh, it ended shortly after that. But it was awesome to know that uh, John Feldman, someone we've been listening to for so long, was into what we were doing. So, uh, yeah, flash forward to 2020. 
we got him on the line and uh yeah it was awesome it was a great chat so uh look forward to you guys hearing this uh thanks for coming back week after week guys i really appreciate it uh let's get some business out of the way uh purepleasurepodcast.com is the website that's where you can find all the information on the show you can find the show notes you can find all the episodes you can find everything on there uh purepleasurepod at gmail.com is the email if you want to get in touch with me uh if you want to send me guest ideas or comments on the show or any of that business definitely hit me up on there i uh, love getting your emails and like i say every episode they've been getting more and more uh in depth so i know you guys are listening and enjoying what you're hearing which is awesome and uh yeah getting a lot of good feedback on the show so thank you for that uh let's ch- let's see check out thunderbolt guitars on instagram uh, like I say, every episode, Nick uh, from Thunderbolt Guitars built me a custom guitar, a uh, Telecaster Deluxe with an aluminum neck, hand-wound P90s. It is a beast. It's 11 and a half pounds. It's a monster, but it sounds so good, and it's exactly what I wanted. So you guys can hit him up and uh, tell him what you want, and he'll make it for you. Uh, it's a great company, and they're going to go way, 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 way far into the stratosphere once more people play them and, and see how good they are. Uh, they're fantastic. And I'm not saying that because of the, the they built me a guitar. I'm saying they built me a amazing guitar. It's not just, hey, here's a guitar. This is exactly my specifications, and it plays like a dream. So check out Thunderbolt Guitars. All right, guys, I'm going to get uh, this episode rolling. I don't like to keep the intros too long. But, uh, yeah, thank you for coming back week after week. Look forward to hearing your feedback on this episode. Without further ado, let's get into my conversation with John Feldman from Goldfinger. hundred and something episodes and you can hear me well i hear you perfectly fine okay good yeah good i just want to make sure it's not on my end because i've got full bars no 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 and i do too that's what's so crazy um anyways sorry for that sorry for that hiccup man let's start over okay well portland's portland's good portland's i mean we're on the lockdown but i've been back to work so if i see 
if I go to the grocery store for groceries, I see people wearing masks. That's kind of the only exposure I have to what's going on right now because I'm I'm at work like normal. So it's kind of a strange thing. Like my family, you know, they've been staying home, kids staying home. Um, so when I get home, it's just kind of like it was before. So it hasn't affected me too bad. Uh, what about you? I mean, your 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 whole career depends on on a lot of this stuff going away. Well, I mean, you know, yes and no. I mean, the majority of my work is in the studio. So I think people are done being quarantined for the most part. Bands just can't go play shows. So that's the biggest challenge is, is, band, is artists being able to tour to promote whatever album we're making or whatever songs we're writing together. I mean, that's how, how do you, especially if I'm developing new artists, which I've, which I've historically done most of my career, like how do I get a new artist on the road and kind of promote whatever we're doing if there's no concerts so that, you know, and I, I miss, I just miss shows. I mean, I miss playing Goldfinger shows. So it's not, it's not just about other artists. So, I mean, you're right to a certain extent, but I mean, writing music and producing songs is what I do most of the time. So, so far it's been okay. 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 Cause yeah, I mean the, I've been talking to some folks about the Goldfinger, the, the deals you're doing where you're doing everything separate, like the zoom or whatever, the, uh, the quarantine videos. And people have been yes. loving that. And I have too. Yes. It's awesome. Uh, and, and the fact that Mike Carrera is playing with you now is so awesome. He's a buddy of mine too. And, and uh, it's the, the videos are fantastic. There's so much energy. It's just like a, a Goldfinger show. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, oh, thanks, man. You know, I, 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 if I haven't, if I'm not doing something, I'm thinking I've got like a doomsday brain, you know, that I've got to stay, it's, I've got to be into action or else I'm uh or else I'm just creating stories in my head about, you know, how life is going to not turn out the right way. So I just came up with this idea <laughs> early on. Like I was going to think it was like day three of quarantine. I'm like, dude, we got to do this. I called the other guys in the band and everyone, everyone was down and we've just been putting out one a week and it's been, uh, yeah, it's been super rad. Uh, and I feel like, you know, I don't know why, um, our band has done this and other, I mean, I guess other bands are doing different versions of the, like their own kind of version of the quarantine videos, like just little acoustic performances in the living room. And I saw Billy Joe Armstrong. I think he was playing with his kids. Mm -hmm. uh, they were doing co cover songs in, in their in their studio or whatever. So I've seen other people do it, but uh, I don't know. I, I just I, I just felt like there's seven or eight Goldfinger shows canceled. So why don't we just do our own version of whatever that show would be based based on the parameters that, that exist? You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's excellent. It's absolutely excellent, and I love uh, one th <laughs> one thing I love about you is your is your energy and your passion. It's something that you know you're famous for having this this drive and this passion. Uh, you know, I think Maori was telling me the other day. He's like, I Feldman gave me like two espressos and I felt like I was on Coke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maori, Maori on Coke would not be, that would be a night. I don't want to see that party. Yeah, yeah. But on espresso, he's fine. Yeah. I drink, I drink a lot of coffee and, and I'm, I'm naturally, I think a very energetic person. I think, uh, I don't know. I've just, I've always had this kind of thing. And, 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 you know, part of it probably stems from the idea that I'm, I'm got, I have to pinch myself that I get to do what I love for a living. And I get a, you know, I have my own studio and I, I just get to work with all these amazing artists and I just don't want it to, I don't want, I feel like I'm on this train that's just going at a certain speed. I'm on like a bullet train in, in Japan and I'm just like, let's keep going, let's keep going. So no matter what, I'm like, 
you know, cause I mean, for the most part, I'm older than anyone in the room. I'm like, if I'm producing a band there, most of them are, I mean, even when I record blink, I'm still the oldest guy in the room. So I, you know, I, I definitely feel like my energy has to be, you know, a hundred percent all the time. And I do it, you know, I box, I meditate, I do a lot of stuff for mindfulness so I can, so I can stay positive because there's no other way. Life is way too short. I mean, if I really think about being 18 or even being 10, you know, it's like, I mean, the, the journey from then to now is, is the snap of a finger. And I'm sure like when people are laying, uh, taking their last breath, they, they, they can only imagine that life is just short because all we have is this moment. So I want to do every single thing I can to be positive because I just don't have any time for negativity because it's going to go by so fast. Why would I want to spend my time worrying about shit I can't control? Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me, tell me about your meditation practice because I, <laughs> you're a person I don't see meditating, if, and that's just surface <laughs> level. But and I've tried it so many times, and I can't get my mind to shut off. I can't seem to focus enough to even, and I haven't given it, you know, months and months of time. But how did you get into that? Because that's something that fascinates me that you do that. Uh, well, look, I mean, it's called a practice. I mean, it, it's, that's what it is. You, you practice meditation. No, it's not perfecting meditation. No one says I perfected meditation because I mean, there's probably someone, you know, um, someone in India that is, that has been able to, I mean, I'm sure there are people that practice meditation better than I, but I mean, it's not about getting your mind to, to, to stop. For me, it's about slowing down enough for 20 minutes to just sit here for 20 minutes to just practice sitting still. And then when the thoughts come, like they always do, they're always flowing through my mind. I try and ride it like a wave and, and move on to the next one. And then just knowing that I'm not sticking to one thought, like, oh, my kid's not doing his homework or this band isn't returning my calls or we have to finish the song. Like, let them just flow through my mind rather than stick in it. And it's a practice. You know, I'll be meditating for my 20 minutes in the morning and a thought will come and then I'll realize, God, I've, I'm stuck on this thought. It's been five minutes. And then I go, OK, I'm not here to stick on this thought. I'm here to, medit to meditate. So I let go and I move on to the next one. And I probably I mean, look, I, I think for my practice, I, 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 I practice transcendental meditation. I have a coach that um that god there's a lot of people all of a sudden there's a lot of people in this room i don't know how bad it is on, on your end but it's no, like i just realized that like my whole family is just partying in this room <laughs> <laughs> yeah and my daughter just scared the crap out of out of uh, out of her brother um and uh and so i i i i studied with this um with a meditation teacher that basically gave me a mantra. So I have a word that doesn't have any meaning. It's just a word that doesn't exist in the English language that I say over and over and over. And then the thoughts come and then I go, I'm like, Oh, I've been on this thought for four minutes. Shit. Okay. Back to the, back to the word, back to the word. And then I just say the word, say the word. And then the word gets smaller and smaller. And then maybe I'll have through 20 minutes. I'll probably like literally have, like 90 seconds of no thoughts within that 20 minutes, like, like pieced throughout it. And I'm, I, I'm sure there are people that meditate that get more than that. And there are, there are moments where the, the, it's just the word that exists in my consciousness. But, and the idea is for me to be able to respond in my life when the, when there's any sort of like dilemma or neg anything that's happening that's like chaotic that I can respond to the situation rather than react because my default mechanism is to be like what are you doing like let's fix like how do I fix this immediately and, mm -hmm. and and when I meditate 
I'm able to just maybe take a pause, like a little second, take a breath and say, look, you know, kids, <laughs> you know, let's let's put down our devices. Or if they don't, if, if it's the third time, I take away their iPad or whatever it is. Or, or if the band's freaking out or if someone in the if there's some fight between, you know, infighting between a, a band, I can maybe step in and interject a positive solution towards it. And if I'm meditating, those things happen more often. There, it's, it's, it is a science. I know that there's a science to it. I don't quite understand the science to it, but I know in my life, it has affected me dramatically, really dramatically, how I react to my family, to my business associations, to everything. And it's it's just key because like you said, I'm like a fucking uh, Cocker Spaniel puppy on, on, <laughs> on default. I'm like all the time, all the time, all the time. And so I have to practice sitting still because not everyone's like that. Some people are just mellow by nature. And like, how do I deal with them without overwhelming them? I practice meditation. I also do this thing called breath work with my friend, John Paul Crimi, who basically is probably the biggest breath work meditator on the like teacher on the planet. And, and basically what it is, it's, um, you know, you breathe two breaths, one in your belly and then one in your lungs. You just take a, and then breathe out. And you basically do that for about 15, 15 to 18 minutes. And it's like, you're laying on your back and you get really lightheaded. It's, and it's just bizarre. It's like you're working out, but you're laying on the floor. But afterwards, I literally feel like it's a restart for the brain. I mean, it's, it's like for anyone that suffers from anxiety, anyone that suffer, suffers from depression, this is the answer. Like it completely removes anxiety, this practice that I do. And, um, I don't know. I started that, I started that practice about 10 years ago when I had a couple panic attacks and my friend just said, why don't you try this? And it just immediately got rid of it. Wow. I've not heard of that. I'm gonna have to check that out because that's something yeah. like, especially with sometimes with this, with this show, even like I get this unnatural anxiety beforehand, just because like, why am I, why do I get nervous? You know, like it, it could be anyone, it could be, it could be, uh, you know, the president of the United States, or it could be my neighbor. I get this, like, cause I want to perform. I want it to be good. I want to, I want to turn Like I'm, I'm passionate about it. So I want to happen, but what's the worst that could happen? I don't put it out. You know, like it's this unnatural anxiety that, you know, I've, I've learned to kind of work with, but it's something like, like before playing shows, like back when, we were, when I was playing shows, I'd get nervous for going on stage. The second the first note hit, it was gone. You know, yep. like it's that kind of thing where the second the phone picks up or the second I press record, it's gone. But up until yep. that point, it's there. So having something beforehand like that may help. That's that's a uh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I'll send you I'll send you a link. And I, I think that anxiety for the most part is you're living you're living in a future that doesn't exist yet. You're living in some some you're, you're making up some story in your head about like a worst case scenario that this is what's going to happen. And then you're panicked in the moment because you've made up the story in your head and depression is living in the past and regretting something you did, you know? And so the idea is how do we live right here, right now? And that's, I mean, that really is the crux of what meditation is because I mean, whatever created life, I mean, and, and I'm not, I don't think we're going to spend the rest of our conversation debating the meaning of life or if there is some sort of maker that designed the universe. But I mean, in my opinion, I mean, if, you know, if, if every, if all the quantum physicists, quantum physicists on, in the, on the planet that have ever lived and Einstein and, and Gandhi and everyone else believes that there's some governing force in the universe that connects everything. What, what, who am I to think that they're all wrong, that they study this with their, and they put their entire life into this 
um, you know, into the idea of some sort of force, some power in the universe. Who am I to say it's just all random nonsense that came from nothing, leading to nothing? Like I did, I would. I, I mean, that's just ludicrous for me to say that I that I'm smarter than any of those people. And so, whatever created at least my life needs me to be right here. That creator doesn't live in the future. That future is still unknown. And the past is gone. I can't, there's no amount of money. There's no, there's nothing in the world that, got, that, that can allow me to change what I did yesterday. So right here, right now is all I have. And that's the whole idea of practicing meditation, being in the moment and listening to my breath and practicing my mantra and being in the moment. See, that's, that, that's fascinating to me, John, because that's something I also struggle with is being in the in the moment, you know, like it's it's so difficult to be in the moment. I'm going to try some of this stuff because, I mean, it'll definitely have if, if you're able to find, you know, some some to center yourself with it and and find some benefit from it. I mean, uh, I mean, any of us can, you know, like it's it's uh, it's something I hear consistently on the show. Uh, do you know of a band called Yob? Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, do, you, do you know them? Mike Scheidt? I do. OK. I had him on the show and we we talked meditation and he went deep to where he actually goes in and finds experiences and thoughts and deconstructs them as he's met it. It's crazy. Like the you'll have to talk to him about it if you talk to him again, but he goes beyond with the meditation and it's something nice. I had never heard before, but it's it's a it's a mind bender. Um, nice. But yeah, it's something that I talk about a lot on the show and and so I, yeah, it's fascinating that you're that you're into that, but um yeah, man. yeah, I try and find things to do in my life uh, that allow me to be in the moment. Being on stage, I'm there every second. Like I'm there, I'm looking. I mean, you know, maybe maybe there's out of an hour show, maybe there's three or four minutes where I'm looking at the next song on the set list or I'm um, preparing for whatever that next song is is going to is going to be. But ninety nine percent of my time on stage, I am there with the audience in the moment singing. And I and I love I mean, I probably love playing shows maybe more than anything in my career life, you know, outside of my family. And so making writing music, like when I'm really thinking about what are the words, what, what's the concept of the song? Like, how do I connect the rhyme in the chorus and all that stuff? I'm in the moment when I'm doing that, when I'm programming, you know, stuff in, in my computer, when I'm writing a synth bass line or I'm creating some sort of arpeggiated synth or whatever it is I'm doing, I'm in the moment, you know, and, and most most areas of my life, I'm not doing those few things. You know, med I'm not meditating, playing shows or writing music all the time. Mm -hmm. And so that's the idea of when I'm playing with my kids, I want to be there. I don't want to be like looking at my phone or thinking about a business deal that's about to happen. I don't want to be doing, I want to be there with them. And so those are the moments that it takes that when I'm practicing meditation, I can apply that to my life and look, it doesn't, of course it doesn't work all the time, but it works some of the time. And that's better than what it was before I started meditating, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That brings me to a point that I was, I wanted to talk to you about uh, too is, is, you talk about like the 10,000, well, a lot of people talk about it, but you talk about it a lot, the 10,000 hours of getting good at something, you know, and, and, and basically not mastering it, but, you know, you know, giving it the time and becoming something. Um, but you also talk about writing a song a day. And what my question was on that, that I was thinking in my mind was, um, if you write a song a day, like that's your goal, you know, and, and after talking to you this last little bit, it makes more sense. But if you can be a hundred percent invested in that one song knowing tomorrow and the next day and the next day you're going to write another one 
uh, you know, being in that moment, being able to write uh, enough material that the cream rises to the top versus writing, you know, trying to write the best song ever every day. Like where, like with writing, where you're you're writing, you know, uh, you're a writer, write uh, write novels or anything like that. They say write every day, even if you have writer's block, just write. I have writer's block over and over and over again until something comes out. Uh, you know, what's your thought on that? As far as I mean, you're you're 100 in the moment writing that song on Monday, but maybe the, the song from Wednesday is the one that rises to the top. But mm-hmm. are you you're consistently trying to write that song every day, or are you just trying to like maintenance? Like, okay, today. I'm writing a song. Eh, it was okay. Tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, I think there is a, I think there is sort of an undercurrent that exists in the songwriting community that, that you're, um, that you're trying to beat the last song you wrote that you've, that once you find the single, okay, now let's write a better song than that. Or if there's a new artist that, that kind of comes in, or if there's a songwriter that comes in when I'm in the middle of an album with a band, they want to hear the single, they want to hear the best song we have so far so they can try and beat it. But I just don't think that's what art is. And I think especially nowadays you listen to um, like songs that really pop through. I mean, some of it just has weird, you know, weird production like that, that. That guy Flume is such an amazing DJ. Like what he does with with sound inside the computer and the way he kind of like designs sound is so different than any other any other producer that I've heard. And it's like he has his own thing. And sometimes that's what makes the special thing. Sometimes it's like connecting a song. Um, uh, the end of that, that end of that Julia Michaels end of the world song that. Um, that's happening right now you know i don't know if you heard that song it's a really really great pop song but it's like i mean if it wasn't for quarantine would that song be a hit right now and then there's like um uh what was that foo fighter song that they just covered on on radio one that they had all these superstars cover um uh anyway like i mean that song is 20 years old and then that song is now you know come back as a number one song in england you know so uh, you just never know what, you know what I mean? I, for me, it's like, I just have to keep going. And if there is writer's block and there is some sort of, um, you know, I, I just walk, I'll pace, I'll pace around my kitchen or my living room and, and I'll just like imagine melodies or I'll think of a story or I'll think of like some experience I had in my past, or I'll think about what my kid's future looks like, or I'll think about just something that like, you know, is out of the norm that I can write that I can write about. And, uh, I don't know for me, uh, it is part, it is part 10,000 hours because without that experience, I don't think people would come to me, you know, to kind of collaborate the way that they do. But then there's also like today, I don't know what's going to come out of me today. And if I don't try and write something new, what's the point? Mm -hmm. So I have to write something. And, and there are days I don't write, don't write a song, but for the most part, I think, I think when I say I write a song a day, I mean I think that's the truth. Yeah, I I, I believe you too, and that's a, that's what I just was curious on your your take on that because it's it's such I mean you're generating so much stuff, um, you know it just I know the cream's gonna rise to the top like uh, going back to Goldfinger like like uh, or going jumping back to Goldfinger in high school uh, like late middle school high schools when I got the first Goldfinger record um, from my buddy Joe who played in Anatomy of a Ghost as well. Um, and we listened to that record religiously. We listened to it every, he had this 60, 66 Chevelle super sport. Uh, and he drove me home from school every day and we had that record and it was in the CD player the whole time. I, I don't even remember another record we put on in that car. 
And oh, that's so nice. That <laughs> that solo in anxiety. This is totally getting off topic, but that solo in anxiety that partnered with discovering social distortion and Mike Ness's style of guitar playing. Those two things completely blew my blue and it may sound cheesy to say that, but blew my mind as far as being a guitar player and a songwriter on being tasteful, but being impactful uh, where, you know, Mike Ness isn't a shredder and he play a lot of his solos and stuff kind of follow the melody line of the song, but they have that, that, that the, the balls, you know, and yeah. that has that, that solo in anxiety has that to where it's tasteful, but it hits. And I, I can, I can sense it coming every time. And I get so, I get goosebumps still to this day at work. I put it on before we talk because I, I wanted to hear it again. Something like that, where it's just so uh, impactful, but it's not like a, it's not like a, uh, what's going on now with music where it's just like all this math rock craziness. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's one of those things that really changed music for me. That's why when you and I met at that, that, uh, man, what was the show? It was Goldfinger, My Chemical Romance, Us, and Amoeba Ghost, uh, Stun. It was a, like an animal rights, uh, benefit. Oh, show. yeah, in Orange County with yes. the used. With the used, yes. And I came up to you and I was so, I was freaking the fuck out because I was like, holy shit, it's John Feldman. You know, who you'd, you'd inspired so much in us as these Alaskan kids wanting to come down and play music. Um, and I mentioned the band and you're like, oh yeah, I've heard of you guys. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> and uh, you're like, yeah, it seemed like you guys, you know, you guys had your shit together. So I kind of just let it go. And I was like, no, no, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't have our <laughs> shit together. Please, I wish you would have called because uh, I think you had met up with the Fear Before the March of Flame guys uh, who are buddies of ours. Um, I can't remember when that was before first and second record. Anyway, um, but that was that was one of those experiences where it was just like kind of came full circle and and uh you know seeing everything from the the backside of of how things go as far as you know uh from simple songwriting the effect it has on people all across the world you know what i mean like the songs you've written have touched so many people you know and probably saved some lives you know uh, it's such a crazy experience so um I, I mean, do you have that going through your mind at all when you're writing this music? Or is it like you're saying, just just straight up, this is what I'm thinking today, put it out? Yeah, I mean, thank you for all that too, man. It means the world. I mean, it never, like if I if someone gives me a compliment, it's never, I mean, it's not, it's not like I've got a hype guy around me all the time, like just reminding <laughs> me of anything that I've done. I, it's just, I forget, you know, I forget because I'm always, you know, like I said, I try and be in the moment. I'm trying to write the best song I can today. So a lot of times I'm, I'm forgetful of, of maybe something I've done, but I mean, anxiety is one of those songs that when I was uh, selling shoes back in the day, you know, probably 1994, like, and that's when I really started, uh, that's when I struggled with anxiety and, and my panic attacks a lot. And it was like the shortness of breath and the kind of like, you're, you feel like you're living two seconds ahead and, and you're the out of body experience that you have when you struggle with anxiety disorder and, and all that stuff. Like I was, I, and I don't take drugs. I don't do anything. So I wasn't like, I couldn't just treat it with Xanax. I just, I had to just, I, I just like had to figure out some other solutions, you know, with, with the breath work, with the meditation, with working out, with all the stuff that I do. So when I wrote anxiety, I mean, it was before, my band was signed, I was still selling shoes and I would have these panic attacks selling shoes because you'd have these long, like long hour, you know, two hour windows where no one's in this shoe store. And I'm just like, I've already organized everything and written everything on the shoe boxes I needed to. And so I'm just sitting there just thinking and 
and I'd have these panic attacks and, and, and I wrote that song in the moment. And it's, that's one of those songs that like, you know, I don't, it was never meant to be a single, but it just, it really, it, it, it I don't know. Yeah. I can't, how can I say it saved my life? Maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but I mean, I needed to write that song to get through that period of my life, which was so difficult emotionally. You know, I needed to write it. You know, that song Disorder on Hang Ups is the same way. I needed to write that song to get to get through it, um, to get through that moment, because it was like those those two years I really struggled. Like 96, 97, I was struggling a lot with anxiety. And and so for me, it, it, it needed to be written for me. I wasn't thinking how can this song help someone else? I was just some 26, 27 year old kid ultimately that was going through a really hard time. And I, and I know that those songs have connected with other people lyrically. Um, and so it means the world to me that it, that it meant, that it meant something to you, but most of my songs, at least in Goldfinger, I write from personal experience. I mean, I'm pretty much everything. I mean, on, even on the new record, like get what I need was my, you know, kind of was my sophomore year in high school. And Tijuana sunrise was like my, my, like the year after I graduated high school. Like it was like, these are all moments in my life that, that, that hopefully the more, what I found, the more specific I get in songwriting, when I talk about specific things, like, like, um, woke up in jail in Rosarito, like that's something that like happened to me. It, it, and it didn't have probably didn't happen to you. But for some reason, people can take that specific lyric and convert it to a story they went through in their life and make it personal to them. The more specific I am, the more it connects to other people. It's very bizarre, but that's how it works. I And I completely I completely understand. That. And dis, that's funny that you mentioned disorder, because <laughs> once we started the band, like the the Goldfinger, uh, the self-titled record we had, that's what was basically one of the records that inspired us to even start playing music, that and Green Day, right? So that was that era. Once we became better and started playing shows, we actually covered Disorder because that song stood out to us so much on Hang Ups. And that line where if I take that drink, I might or I might as well just die. And if I kill myself, I'll be giving up my try. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. 
That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like chocolates. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Like th those lyrics hit so hard like it, it was and even though it wasn't something we were necessarily experiencing it was the honesty you know like it, you don't hear that kind of lyric in a green day song you know like it was that honesty and that rawness that that sucked us into goldfinger and kept us there you know mm. and and it, you have 
the power behind your voice. I mean, there's a lot of different th- factors there that you can tell, you know, 100%, 100%, 100%. And that was, it was, it was just, uh, what was causing those, those panic attacks? Was it just the, the what ifs and the, the, or was it from something earlier? I mean, look, I drank as a kid. I stopped drinking when I was really young. You know, I drank a lot. I got in a lot of trouble through alcohol and drugs and I stopped drinking when I was 21. And so I think a lot of that stuff has to do with being newly sober and and like my body just going through changes because alcohol has got so much sugar in it and like going through the detoxes and all the, um, the withdrawal symptoms of of all that stuff probably had something to do with it. But I mean, the other, the other side of it is I didn't go to college. I, I, you know, my, my parents were, um, really strict Catholics. And and my dad was a a nuclear physicist. He was a really, really smart guy and an engineer. And so he had, he had a lot of expectations for what he thought I needed to do. And if I, and he always thought if I didn't go to school, I was going to be a, you know, be a garbage man or some, you know, work in construction or some sort of like, uh, you know, manual laborers type type job. I mean, he always told me I was never going to make it in music and it was going to be, you know, he, and, and, and he did the best he could. And in hindsight, looking back, I mean, he was doing it thinking that he would motivate me by saying this wasn't going to happen. He was going to discourage me from, from having a career in music because he didn't believe it was going to happen. And he was going to, and that I'd have a better life if I went to school, but clearly, you know, I mean, he was wrong, which, you know, every human makes mistakes and I don't hold any grudges today, but as a kid, it's very discouraging to hear when your own parents are like, you know, it's never going to work. And so part of it is I'm selling shoes, you know, in my mind, I'm going, my dad was right. You know, I got out of high school. I've, I've, you know, I'm 26. So I'm out of high school. Like, what is that? Like eight years, seven, eight years. I haven't connected the dots. I haven't made it yet. You know, I'm still working retail for $7 an hour. Like, so all that stuff is creating all this, you know, worry and stress and fear about what, what am I going to do? Sell shoes for the rest of my life, you know? And so a lot of that I'm sure had to do with it. But, um, you know, it, can, it continued on the beginning, I guess, when Goldfinger started taking off and K-Rock added here in your bedroom, it was like, I mean, that shit was, I mean, it was very bizarre going from a retail job to hearing a song I wrote by myself in my own bedroom on the biggest radio station on the planet 48 times a week. You know, I mean, every time I was in my car, I heard that song and I'm like, holy shit. And then I'm, and then, so, so you, you know, you go from one thought of like, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to get what I want to the next thought. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose this. This is going to be the only time that I'm ever going to have success, you know? And so all that fear and worry, just like a lot of people today with this COVID shit, it's like people, you know, everyone's either worried about getting it or when they're going to be able to get out of their house. You know, there's all this fear of what the future is going to look like. We're never going to be able to tour again, drive in shows. Everyone's going to wear a mask at concerts, whatever the fuck people think, you know, is just creating unnecessary anxiety because none of us, can control, like, I can't call, you know, Newsom, who's the governor of my state. I can't just call him on the phone and be like, dude, I mean, you know, think about it. Think about what you're doing, because if you're going to get COVID, you're going to fucking get it. There's not going to be some fucking cure or a vaccination. This is not going to fucking happen. So let us out. There's no one in the hospitals because no one's having elective, elective surgeries. And if you're worried about the hospital still being overwhelmed, Spend that goddamn unemployment money on building bigger hospitals. Like you could, you could have had, you you could have multiplied our hospitals tenfold in the last two months if that was what you're worried about, you know. Mm-hmm. But instead, we're just stuck here for no reason. There's no reason. 
And, 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 and everyone's like freaking out, but it's like, what's there to freak out about? Either you're going to get this thing or you're not going to get it. I mean, at least that's my, but I'm, you know, I'm a young man considering that most people that die are over 70 and all that. So, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm saying that, but like, look, if I was over 70, I'm not going like my, my agent that's in the music business, he says, you know, when everything goes back to normal, Travis Scott's not going to have any issues touring. I mean, Travis Scott's going to be just fine because it's going to be all kids at his shows. He's like, it's going to be Barry Manilow. Those are the concerts that, that are going to suffer because, <laughs> because those people aren't going to go to shows. Um, so what, but, but look, man, I, 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 I try, I, what's the point of worrying? I, I mean, I don't think I'm going to be one day and laying on my deathbed going, I wish I would have worried more. I don't think that's going to be my thought. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's, and it's such a, uh, yeah, everything's just so up in the air. It's really, I mean, it's freaking a lot of people out and it's, it's just a, a crazy time. It's something we've never really had to go through before. And it's going to probably change a lot of things forever is what, what I've been, you know, thinking on it is, you know, our metal, metal detector is going to start taking temperature as well. Like what, what's it going to take to, to get things going? You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, but going back to to you know that time, I wanted to I wanted to bring this up too because I had I talked to Darren on the podcast way earlier in the in the podcast like two years ago, and he talked about the story you guys met each other like through a Starbucks. Um, That's right. And he said he said I think it, the story went that you'd give him a demo or whatever to check out, and you guys were talking or whatever, and came back and you had asked him if he was if like talking about Dave Grohl like Dave Grohl's a great drummer you know, would you say you're better than Dave Grohl? And Darren said that he said, yeah, yeah, I actually think I'm better than Dave Grohl. And he said, you put your hands in the air and said, Darren Pfeiffer, best drummer in the world. (laughs) 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 The way he did it was perfect. But, uh, I mean, is that accurate? Like you met at a Starbucks and, and handed demos off and, and we went from there. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I knew Charlie through, um, my old, my old band. I was in this like metal funk band. that was like kind of somewhere between Judas Priest and the red hot chili peppers. And it's like he, Charlie was our guitar tech. And so I, I, I'd known Charlie. And, and so he was sort of like in the back of my mind, going to be the guitar player for Goldfinger. Um, and, and we never, I, we auditioned probably like 15 drummers or something, you know, uh, at the time I, I had, when I was selling shoes, I met Simon Williams, who was our, our first bass player. And so him and I sort of um, were the catalyst. We were like the precipice of, of starting the whole thing. We came up with the, the name, um, my manager at, at, our, at, at Nana, this guy, Sean, actually came up with the name Goldfinger. And we just love James Bond and mod culture and all of it. So so I think you, I think Darren was probably like last, last in line, uh, maybe last or second to last in line to join the band. And we went through all these drummers and people would just come in the band and want to jam. Like we were the grateful dead or they, they just couldn't play to a click or whatever. And, and I would go to visit my best friend who managed, no, he, he was working at Starbucks and Darren was the manager, which is hard to, hard to, uh, kind of hard to imagine Darren managing a Starbucks, but he was the manager. And, uh, every time I'd go in there, you know, Damien, my friend would tell, would tell Darren about me. And so he got a hold of the demo tape and I, and I think he was a fan of the songs. I think he really enjoyed, you know, kind of the hooks. And I think on that tape, it was mind's eye miles away. Uh, this song, this, this like reggae song that I can't even remember that never made the, the album. And, uh, I don't even know if Hearing Your Bedroom was on. No, Hearing Your Bedroom wasn't on there. It was just like maybe two or three, like a reggae song and two other songs. And he was just like, man, I love, um, 
He's like, I love the songs. Just let me audition. But I, it took me a minute because Darren was so arrogant. Just, I mean, I would go in there and we would talk about Lars. Lars sucks from Metallica and like whatever. He'd have all these opinions about drummers. And then he just came one day. I just, you know, after like 12 other drummers, I'm like, all right, dude, you can audition. And he just came in and it was like, I mean, he was so far and beyond the best drummer that we that we had auditioned. I mean, he just he learned the songs. He was super professional, hit the drums super hard, played really great to a click. I mean, he was just like, I mean, and he just loved punk rock. And he he grew up in a hardcore band. He was Zero Tolerance was his band in Buffalo. And then he was just, a you know, a perfect fit. I mean, he was just a really goofy. I'm a goofy kind of guy. And he just lo loved that kind of humor. And um, he was a perfect fit. Man, that's hilarious. <laughs> the, just the way he said it was was perfect. And, and and you guys, do you guys still hold the record for for live shows in a year? You know, it's hard. It's hard to say. I know that at the time, you know, we played 385 shows in Jesus. 1996. So at the time, it was like for a touring act. I mean, we. I mean, I'm I'm still going to claim that we have a, a Guinness Book of World's Records, but I, I don't know if anyone's tried. I'm sure you could probably outdo it if you were really focused. But we were just playing. You know, we were just doing. <clears throat> what our manager told us to do, which was just get on the road, play shows. And, and that's all we did. You know, there's another show. God, this is way better than selling shoes. Let's play, let's play, let's play. So I just kept playing shows. And I mean, everything great in my life came from touring. I mean, I met the used through, through touring. I met my wife through touring. It's funny. I mentioned the used before my wife, whatever, <laughs> um, you know, all, all this great shit happened from playing shows. So I'm so grateful that, that I did that back then. And I, you know, we, we toured pretty consistently from, you know, I mean, we played as many shows local as we could in 94, 95. And then, um, 96, we really went crazy. 96, 97 were insane. I mean, just like, and then it was pretty much 300 shows a year until about 2000. And then we probably mellowed out to like 200, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you discovered the use from touring. I mean, I know you had a demo from them and, and whatnot. When you were recording that first record, did you, did you feel something magical? Like, did you know it was going to be as monumental as it was, or was it more like, this is a really good record? You know, it, it, sometimes how you can kind of sense or feel something like this, um, that good. I knew, I knew it. You yeah, knew, I it. knew it. I knew it. I knew, I knew it was going to change the world. I knew that, uh, I knew Bert was a superstar. I knew that Quinn was like a guitar player, unlike anyone I'd ever met. <clears throat> and I knew, um, you know, Jeff just fit in the band perfect. And Brandon had these ideas for drums that were so creative and outside the, the scope of what normal drummers think that I knew that it was going to be. And they were all like super, you know, motivated. I mean, I mean, let me take that back. Maybe not all of them were super motivated, but some of them were super motivated. <laughs> it just, there was just enough motivation and drive. And I think collectively they all knew that if they didn't make it happen, then it was probably never going to happen for them. Wow. Because I remember I, we were on Warp Tour with them, that first Warp Tour they did, and I watched them every day and I got shit for it from the rest of the band every day. And I was like, dude, this band is fucking great. And they're like, eh, I don't know. Like, like, it seems a little like they're trying too hard. I was like, no, they are great. And uh, to this day, I mean, uh, you know, going fast forwarding. So going from from then when they were, you know, so young and new to then making their newest record with them. What were besides the member changes? Was it a, a was it like getting back together again, or was there a, was it a, a big difference now that they've made made that nut? They've had that success, you know. What was the difference there recording that newest record with them? 
Well, I've made uh, I've, I made two records with Dan prior to this, maybe two and a half records with Dan. And so I mean, we were, we, you know, Dan and I are, are, are close and he knows my, my system and he, he kind of knows how I do drums. And, and so he was very prepared, but I'd never worked with Joey and Joey was just probably the, the easiest. I mean, one of the easiest guys I've ever met, incredibly talented, great guitar player, just every you know, ideas he has were amazing. If ideas he had didn't work, he wasn't like stubborn about it and just really go, he just went with the flow. If I had an idea, he would try it. And then we would always go best idea wins always, you know? And, uh, it was just, it, I mean, Jeff and Bert, I mean, of course it was like getting back together with a, with old friends and, and they, they knew what to expect with the record. And we, um, I mean, they are, they are who they are. And, and when we get in the room together, we create something that's very unique to us. Like if you remove any one of, if you remove me or Bert or Jeff or any of us, it's like, it's a different thing, you know, and I'm a guitar player. So I'm like, I've got ideas for days as far as what to do. So, you know, Joey's great. And he added a, he added a ton, but I think, you know, Bert and I especially have this relationship with melody and lyric that is unlike anyone else in my life. And he probably have feels the same way about, about his relationship with me. And so that being said, I think we, you know, a lot of people are, are, are saying, man, this is reminiscent of the first three albums, which is the first, you know, I, I recorded the first three yeah. and um, yeah, it makes, it just makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree that that connection, you can hear it on the records that you do with them because it's a, I mean, those first three records were bangers. Like it, and it was just hitting so hard. And then uh, hearing the new record, it was just like, man, this is fucking fantastic. You know, like you're just, you're, you're extremely, extremely good at what you do, John. And, and I mean, it's, it's, you have a sound and that's something that, you know, you have a sound when you're writing music and you in Goldfinger, but then you have a sound in the studio too, which you can, a lot of times, you know, you can't attribute that to a lot of people. Like there's, you know, there's certain producers that are, are that way. Yes. But it's not common to where you can listen to a record and be like, is Feldman involved with this record? You know? And that's something that uh, uh, I think is is huge, you know. Um, has have has anyone tried to capture your sound on like a? Um, I know they're doing those plugins now and everything else, like the the um, amp modelers and things like that, like the in the studio. Has that happened? Yeah, I've done I've done some collaborations. You know, I have I have one with um, with uh, Tune Tracks, which make Easy Drummer and Superior Drummer, and so we did like a drum pack of. I have Travis Barker's kit here and we just got all the samples off it. And we just, I mean, that's my go-to demo writing drum. I mean, like the drums sound exactly like they do in my studio. So that's my go-to pack. It's really, I'm really, really proud of that one. I've got um, this plugin called uh, Tone Hub through STL Tones and I've, and they've, they've kind of pulled the soul out of all my amps, you know, and it, it works in, in, in congruency with with Kemper and then it also is a standalone plug-in so I'm really I'm pumped about that so when I'm instead of having to plug in different amps different cabinets I've got my own like my own system inside of Pro Tools where I can just get an, an amp sound that I that I absolutely love which is um which is really great you know I mean it's really been an honor to work with companies and kind of de- designing and developing my own plugins now yeah Absolutely. That's something I did not know that I was, I was curious on that. I'm gonna have to check that out because, you know, like I said, you have that sound, you know, and, and I mean, one thing I want to jump back to as well, John is, is, uh, 
going back to recording and you know especially with the used and stuff where you know you kind of help them into you know becoming what they are and kind of growing have you found yourself having to be a therapist as well as a producer in the studio this thing is like you're, you're trying to pull out these memories and these moments and um in people's lives that they're not necessarily wanting to remember so we can have something that feels heartfelt and something that feels real to the artist. And so you're having to talk about like abusive parents or breakups that were horrible or the death of a friend. And and so you're having to have these discussions. And when you're writing, collaborating and writing a song together, you're writing about something that is a lot of times really difficult for the artist to want to talk about. And so, you know, being able to bring that up and, and talk about that with an artist is a skill you know, not everyone has, you know, and some people are better than others. And there are days where I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty good listener and I'm a pretty good, you know, I have, I have good advice or feedback. And then there's other days where I'm just like focused on a bass sound or I'm focused on, you know, and it's hard to be a hundred percent all the time. Like even Max Martin, who's one of the greatest songwriters of this generation, like he doesn't write a hit every day, but you know, you keep going. And then once you've you know, that's why I like making albums still. It's like, if I make an album, that means I can write a collection of songs, like, you know, 13 to 20 songs where I will, at the end of the day, we know, look, this is the hit. This is the song, you know, this is the one that stands out where if you only have the artist for one day, you're doing the best you can for that day, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to write the best song of their career in that day. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think being, do you think tapping into that part? I mean, do you remember when that first happened, like having to tap into that and figure out how to, you know, talk with people? I mean, was it difficult in the beginning to talk to people about those things for you or did it? I mean, look, Bert, you know, Bert, uh, you know, I, I, the Bert was probably the first guy that I really connected with on an emotional level because a lot of his upbringing and a lot of his personality is very similar to mine. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I had produced my own band, which was kind of a, a, you know, a a thin line that I've got to walk because I'm trying to push myself, but sometimes my barometer's off as far as like, is this song, you know, is this song really good enough? And and maybe it is, maybe I have something special, but in my mind, I'm having a bad day and I go, Oh, this song sucks. You know, where I, if I had a producer to kind of say, Oh dude, this is great. I can listen to them. Like when I was producing my own music, it's just difficult to do that. So I, I, you know, I didn't really have the deep connection that I did with the used with show off or messed, which were the first two bands that I produced outside of Goldfinger, you know? And, and I think I made, I mean, at the time, you know, in hindsight, the songs were okay with show off and, and messed, maybe, maybe mess connected to a big, a little bit of a bigger audience. I know we had a gold record in Japan, but none of that stuff was really going to take me to, it, it never was going to take me to be the producer that I am today. I mean, the used needed to happen for me to really become who I am talking to you in 2020. So that first used record, I felt like I connected with Bert and, and the taste of ink was the song that like they had the verses written is it worth the can you even you know like they had that written but there was no chorus and i'm like dude this song is incredible but you guys need to write a better chorus you know and i remember sitting there in my living room in marina del rey pushing them to write a chorus and that was the first time i knew uh, outside of like i had already had like i already um had success with superman and with uh, here in your bedroom so i knew that like I knew how to write a good song because I had proof, 
But like pushing them to write a great song, I hadn't really proved that yet. Because back in that era, in the late 90s and early, two, um, early 2000s, like people weren't really collaborating as songwriters then. It was like kind of like this like thing, this thing that you didn't want to do. It was like some sellout move or something back then where now everyone collaborates and, and it's totally – I mean I'm sure everyone doesn't collaborate, but it's not shunned like it was back then and people don't really judge. People aren't looking at fucking CD liner notes like they used to judge back then, you know? And so I wasn't able to really collaborate as a songwriter as much in the used early days, but I was able to push them to write better songs. And I think because of that, we got that amazing first album. Yeah, that's and that's the, the skill in itself, too, is being able to to push some, uh, you know, push someone to do something, you know, they can do, you know, and recognize their potential. Like it's it's uh, man. That's that's incredible. I, I would have loved to be in the room back then and, and just hearing those early things, you know, like, um, you know, and one thing I got, uh, there's a band called Glacier Veins that uh, is here in Portland that and I had, I've been out of music for a while and saw them at a show and I got that feeling again, like, wow, I'm seeing something that's going to be awesome. And I sent it to my buddy Dan Sanshaw, which I think is a mutual friend of ours um, yep. at EVR. And he said, let me let me sit on this for a minute. Gets back to me. He's like, the whole team is jamming this this record. And basically, because I asked him, I was like, can I send your stuff to some people? And they said, well, yeah, sure. Anyways, they picked up on it. They made the record. The record's fantastic. But it's one of those things where they'll come back and say, you know, hey, thanks for, you know, passing this along. I was like, well, you guys had to make the record. You guys had to make right on that. And uh, the record's fantastic, but then COVID like tanked the tour they got on and everything else. Um, but it's just that it, that's I kind of see where you would get excited about you know finding bands and and doing what you've done for so long. You know that little bug um, when you oh, see yeah. something great. Um, but anyways, I want to I got you know uh, just two more things I wanted to talk about with you, John. Where one thing I, I recently I think I heard on Joe Rogan and from a songwriter's perspective. Uh, they were talking about how the conspiracy theory that the Scorpions song uh, that uh, Winds of Change was written by the CIA to end the Cold War. Have you heard that? Mm-hmm. I have never heard that. You, you need to look it up. It's crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. But seeing the influence, you know, of music is in the big picture, you know, what it can do. It, it made some weird sense and uh, I'll have to find it. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when I find it. There's a YouTube video on it, um, but it was on Joe Rogan, I believe. Anyways, um, if you think, if, I just wanted to know if you'd heard that and see if, you know, your thoughts on it, but. Um. No, I, have, I, I, I love, <laughs> I love the idea of songs having that much power, that global power. I mean, I guess, look, um, imagine keeps resurfacing every couple of years, John Lennon's song, mm-hmm. you know, just whenever people are talking about, social change and and world peace and all that stuff that song kind of comes up as being a real classic game changer for the world so i think music really does hold the power i mean look i mean just per, all i can do is speak from personal experience if i write it if i write a song that can make me cry i know i can make the world cry if i write a song that makes me angry the world can get angry you know it's like so I mean, I listen to specific music when I work out. I listen to music when I'm trying to go to sleep. I listen to music when I'm just chilling, cooking for my kids. So there's all sorts of different music that motivates me to do to do different things. So um, why couldn't why couldn't it? You know, why why couldn't there be a specific song 
it's written for that sort of reason. And if the goal is for good, which is ending, you know, ending war, why not? Yeah, absolutely. That's, I just wanted to know if you had heard that, but, um, real quick, just to end things, John, I, you've inspired me to, you know, in so many ways with, with, uh, you know, music you've written, music you've produced, you know, just being an all around energetic, you know, real person. Um, I want to know what inspires you and what's inspiring you right now. Um, I just heard the new Charlie XCX record, which is incredible, man. The production on that's like, it's like next level Kanye. It's fucking so, it's really good. I mean, I just listened to it this morning. I really like the new Coldplay record. I think Chris Martin's voice is just, I mean, he's got something that's, you know, just like Bob Marley, like Bob Marley, I, I really believe was, um, you know, touched by something different than the creator that created the rest of humans. Like the way Bob Marley wrote songs, the way his, the way his voice sounded, the way he played. If you watch Bob Marley videos back in the day, it's like he's singing like 15 feet away from the microphone. And yet you still hear every single word. It's just mm -hmm. like it's just amazing how. His, you know, how he sings without like, with just effortlessly, you know? So, um, I don't know. I haven't had anything like, you know, I read all the game of Thrones books and I'm just a super fan of, of that whole series. And, and I haven't found a TV series. that's really inspired me as much as, as much as that show. I mean, we've, we've tried a bunch of stuff. Um, I mean, I love the Mandalorian, so don't get me wrong, but, and I loved Ozark. There's definitely shows that are great, but nothing that's really inspired me that much. But, um, I mean, I'll get a new plug-in like once in a while that'll uh, that'll really excite me. I'm trying to think recently what um, like in the studio, like this thing called Arcade. It's like basically it just has these kind of sound designs that exist in there. You set the key of the song, and then you've got this really moody vibe behind it, which is really um, really great. But I'm look, I'm inspired by the artists that I work with more than anything, and and like our like you mentioned, our friend Spencer from Ice Nine Kills. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, like he, you know, we, we've been working a little bit together recently, and he's just, you know obviously very into horror movies, and so he's got. And I watched The Mist since uh, he since I met him. And he's kind of, you know, reinvigorated my love for horror. I'm almost done with The Outsider, the book, the Stephen King book. I'll probably watch, watch the HBO series after it because of him. And like, I, you know, he's running a song about Candyman. And, and it's like, I, you know, I'm so excited for the new version of Candyman. So it's like, I, I just get inspired by, uh, by artists most of the time. Because, I mean, for the most part, I'm, I'm in a session every day with, um, with someone new. But, I mean, my daily routine's the same. I mean, I have to have some kind of routine, which for me, I box twice a week. The other days I either go running or I'm on the elliptical working out. I meditate every day. I do a cold shower, which is great for testosterone if you're a man. And it's just really great in sort of, re, you know, re getting your body to, re, you know, really help with lymph node recycling. So because you're, you're all your veins, like basically constrict when you're in the cold water. And then when you get warm again, it just re all your blood flow opens back up. So I've been doing cold plunges in my pool, but now it's hot again. So my, my pool is all warmed up. So I'm just <laughs> doing, which sucks. I'm doing cold, cold showers. And, and then, um, you know, I mean, that's really my, my routine it takes about an hour in the, in the morning to kind of get through cycle through all that stuff. And, and then I try and listen to New Music Friday every week and just hear what, hear what other artists are doing. My daughter loves Billie Eilish. I thought that Phineas really um, has kind of recreated music to a certain extent with his production skills. He's just one of those producers that that redefines popular music. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that's been really inspiring, just, you know, kind of discovering something through my daughter and then having it inspire my own work is pretty cool. And then writing new Goldfinger record has been great, you know, just 
uh, you know, kind of writing whatever I want about whatever I want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm stoked to hear that, man. That's awesome. Excellent. Well, John, dude, thank you so much for the time, man. I know time's precious. I know you're a very busy person and I really appreciate the hour and, and, uh, you know, your, your manager, uh, Nick is fantastic. We had a chat the other morning and, uh, just an awesome dude. And, and, but yeah, I appreciate the time and I appreciate, and thank you so much for all the hours of, you know, enjoyment you've given me through your music and, and what you do. Uh, it's been paramount in my life and, and, uh, it's awesome to get to talk to someone who's had that effect. So, uh, thank you so much. Have a great day, man. Thank you. All right, John, take care. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Mr. John Feldman from Goldfinger, the producer of producers. Uh, just an awesome all around energetic, fun dude. And, uh, I had a good time talking to him. Uh, I, it's not, not very often I get nervous talking on these interviews. I always get some anxiety beforehand, but this one, I was a little nervous as we were talking just cause I didn't want to, you know, he's an awesome dude, but he's very busy and has a lot going on. And when you're at that level, I mean, your time is not to say anyone's time is more valuable than anyone else's. But when you carve out that kind of time uh, in someone's day that makes that much money to spend an hour with somebody normally, uh, you don't want to screw it up. You want to make sure it's uh, value added and and that it's a good time. And and I think we did that. But there was, you know, some times in there where I got a little shook, but uh, it happens. Anyway, uh, thanks to John for coming on. Uh, Thanks to Nick, his manager, for getting everything set up. And uh, thank you to... uh, Mike and Spencer for getting us connected and and all that. So it was nice to reconnect. Um, anyways, so guys, check out peerpleasurepodcast.com if you can. Uh, hit over there. You can find everything from, like I said earlier, show notes, uh, all the images. If you want to send someone to check out the show for the first time, send them over there because they can go through like a playlist of all the past guests and, and see what they're missing out on. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. It's been awesome. And uh, it continues to get better. So I'm really pleased with uh, how this episode came out, and I look forward to hearing from you guys. So I'm going to get out of here. Lots to do, lots more interviews to do, and a lot of big things coming at you. So, all right, guys, we'll see you on the radio.
Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Oh, no.